Take your Bible, if you will, now open to the book of Ephesians, chapter 5. Ephesians, chapter 5. Now, I had heard some threats about the possibility of all the, all the men sitting together tonight. I knew it wasn't going to happen because they wouldn't be allowed. Besides that, if uh, the lightning fell, it hit just in one place, get them all at once. So, so I say we men, I'll include myself, we men are well spread about tonight. Look with me, will you please, at Ephesians 5, verse 25. Paul writes and says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that we can come to you in prayer tonight. We thank you for these days that we've had together. They've been precious days of fellowship. Thank you that a great part of our fellowship has been around thy word. And we pray that as we have this service together and as we close this conference that we might sense your presence with us. We might experience the blessing of the ministry of the Holy Spirit to all of us that you would work in us, that you would bring about continual change, moving us more and more to be like the Lord Jesus, and we'd be so grateful. And may that gradual transformation be reflected in godly marriages, godly homes. We would praise you for it. We ask now all these things in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. The primary challenge that is given to a man, and there are many challenges that would ultimately come under that, but the primary challenge that is given to a man is that which we read in verse 25. It says, husbands, love your wives. And then the challenge is, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Now back up with me, if you will, to verse 22, because there is the primary challenge that is given to the wife. We have not really addressed that this week, but it says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. God always brings his truth into perfect balance. And those two statements bring balance to a marriage. This is God's plan. This is not something that man came up with. And therefore, it is not something that you and I have choices to make about. We can't say, well, I don't like that, or I don't like that. I think I'll do it my way. You and I, if we want God's blessing, we'll do it His way. I want to just comment for a moment, because there is a teaching that uh, is being found in Bible-believing circles today called dual submission. I don't know if you've heard of that or not. If you haven't, praise the Lord. I hope you never hear of it in any other setting. But there's a teaching that has uh, come out today, and it kind of says something like this. And it's based, by the way, on verse 21 of this chapter, where it says, Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. I read an article in a uh, fundamentalist publication, and the man was writing based on verse 21, talking about marriage, and he said, you know, in marriage there really ought to be dual submission. 
Uh, the wife ought to submit to her husband, but it'd be nice if sometimes the husband would submit to his wife. That is not what the Bible teaches. Understand that tonight. Verse 21 is given in a context of discussion that goes all the way back to verse 18. And I want to point it out very quickly. I want you to notice in verse 21 that that verse ends with a punctuation mark, which in your Bible, I'm sure, is a period. Right? Everybody find that? Sure. Now go back to verse 20. In my Bible, the verse ends with a semicolon. In yours, it will end with either a semicolon or a colon. Verse 19, the verse ends with a semicolon. Verse 18, the verse ends with a semicolon. And verse 17, the verse ends with a period. What that simply means, and I hope you think about it at times when you read your Bible, that the Bible's written in sentences, not just verses. They put it into verses, but Paul didn't write in verses. He wrote in sentences. And verse 18 begins a sentence... And that sentence continues from verse 18 through verse 19 through verse 20 all the way down to verse 21, and then there is a period. Those verses are not talking about marriage. Those verses are talking about being filled with the Spirit of God and the evidences of that as shown in verses 19, 20, and 21. It is not until we get to verse 22 that Paul begins to talk about marriage. The challenge of marriage is not dual submission. The challenge of marriage is that the wife will submit herself to her husband. The husband is to love his wife as Christ loved the church. And if you understand the concept of that love of Christ for the church, you'll know that what Christ did was sacrifice himself for the church. And there's where the balance is. The wife is to submit to her husband the husband is to sacrifice himself for his wife. That's the balance. So verse 25 says, again, Husbands, love your wives, and then this challenge, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. I think we need to think about that verse and think about what it meant for the Lord Jesus to give himself for the church. Because a man might think, and I would understand why, we'd say, well, when Christ gave himself for the church, he died for our sins. And I'm supposed to love my wife as Christ loved the church. Does that mean I'm supposed to die for my wife? Or what does it mean? Simple fact is, it is a rare occasion that a man is ever called on to die for his wife. But what happened on Calvary, as you know, and I certainly don't want to minimize the concept of blood being shed for our sins, but what I want you to think about is that when Christ went to Calvary, what he really did was, in dying for us, he met every need that we have. Every need we have. And so when he died on Calvary, he shed his blood for my sin. But when he died on Calvary, he provided for me a heavenly home. When he died on Calvary, he made provision for the indwelling Holy Spirit. When he died on Calvary, he made me accepted in the Beloved. When he died on Calvary, he took care of it that I might be delivered from the power of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear Son. And on and on you could go and see all there is involved in what the Lord Jesus did when he died and gave himself for us. And so as men... If we're going to look at this verse and say, okay, how do I apply that? 
Husband, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. I'm going to have to look at my wife and say, my challenge is to so minister to her that I meet every need she has. That's the challenge of loving her. And it is a sacrificial love. It is me surrendering sometimes what I would want, what I would prefer. But it is to minister to her. It is to meet her need. Think of the Lord Jesus himself. He left the glory of heaven for himself or for us. He came to this earth out of love for us. He left the glory of heaven and went to the cross and died for us. And so every man must look at his wife and say, how do I minister to her? How do I meet her needs? Let me give you some things to think about tonight, men. First of all, think with me about the needs of your wife. For instance, a wife needs security. God never created the woman to be the leader. God created the woman to be the helper. God created the woman to be under the man, and under him she is under his care and protection. First thing she needs is security. That would include physical security. In other words, you need as a man to go to work and care for your wife and provide for her the best you can. Now there was a time, you know, when you didn't have to tell men to go to work. But you know, you live in a day when today you've got to tell men to go to work. Even in Bible-believing churches, I meet these guys who say, well, you know, my wife has better education than I do, and she can actually make more money than I do, so I've decided I'll stay home, take care of the kids. And she's out working because she's making better money. Well, you know something? You're not thinking right. God wants man to work. Did you know that the Bible says that God put Adam in the Garden of Eden and instructed him to work, that he was to care for the garden and till for the garden. That was before sin. It was before uh, Eve was ever created. He was put in the garden to work. And every man is supposed to accept that responsibility. Now, you may not be able to provide as well for your wife and children as somebody else, but, sir, go out and do the best you can to provide for your wife and care for her. Physical security, you ought to provide it. Secondly, a man ought to provide emotional security. What do I mean by that? As a man, you should be willing to take the pressures of your home and family. You should be willing to handle the problems. And too many times men find it easy to dump those problems off on their wife. For instance, maybe you get a little bit of financial problem. It's easy for you to say to your wife, look, honey, you know, I'll be at work today. Uh, call the electric company and tell them we have a little problem. We're going to have to pay the bill late. Hey, you call the electric company. You're the leader. You're in charge. Too often men only want to take the leadership when it's convenient when there's something that they want to do, where they want to call the shot, they want to make the decision, then they are quick to say, hey, I'm in charge. But when it's something they don't want to do, they like to dump it off on their wife. Hey, honey, do this. Hey, honey, you'll take care of that. Listen, you take the emotional pressures. You take the responsibility. You take the obligations of handling the problems. That's your work. Sometimes it might be you, sir, having to protect your wife by standing up to your own parents. Do you know that? That's your obligation. The Bible says to you that when you got married, you left your father and mother and are to cleave unto your wife. 
That means there's been a line drawn, you have begun a new family, and now you are in charge of that family, and you are attached to your wife, and sometimes, as well-intentioned as your folks may be, they may get into things they don't belong in. And sir, you've got to handle it. Now, sometimes it gets a little tougher, but you know what? Sometimes her parents create some problems. And it's easy for a man to say, you better talk to your mother. You better talk to your father. Now, listen, that's your job too. You don't have to be nasty. You don't have to be mean. But you are in charge of your family. And sometimes, and they are difficult pressures to bear, but sometimes you will have to speak to her parents or to your parents, and you'll have to say, hey, Mom and Dad, we love you, but handle the pressure. Take the emotional stress on you because you're the head of the home. How about when it comes to spiritual security? Do you lead your family spiritually as a man? Do you lead your wife spiritually? Are you the one who says to your family, we are going to church? I made reference to it the other day, I think. Are you here tonight, sir, because you are the one who made the decision? Because you were the one who said to your family, we're going to church every night this week. We're going to be in church. Is that why you're here? Or are you here because somebody was pushing and nudging, maybe your wife saying, hey, we ought to be there, or, or maybe somebody else in the church had to get on you a little bit and say, hey, come on, you ought to be there. Where is the spiritual protection and leadership among the men? I'm glad we sang the song tonight, Rise Up, O Men of God, because I want to tell you, that's the need of the day. Have done with lesser things. Put away the things of the world. Get serious about the things of God. And today the crying need is for men who will realize, hey, I'm supposed to provide spiritual security for my wife. Now, you know, the Bible says in 1 Peter 3 that one of the things that women struggle with when it comes to submitting to their husbands is fear. Fear. They're afraid to let their husbands really be the leader. You know why? Because they have no idea what you might do. They have no idea whether you'll really lead. They have no idea whether you will really walk with God. And so they say, man, if I really let him be the leader, what will happen to our home and family? So where's the man who says, look, I understand as a wife, you need spiritual security. Therefore, watch me, even as our brother sang. We're going to go to church because I say so as dad. We're going to pray in this family because I'm going to lead us. We're going to be in the Word of God because I'm going to open the Scriptures. We're going to be doing the things that please God because I'm going to lead this family. I want to tell you something. If you're here tonight as a married man, your wife would love it if you would do that. You might be embarrassed. You might struggle with it. But your wife would love it if you would provide that kind of spiritual security so that she could look at you and say, you know something, I know he is sold out to Christ. That's part of your love. Wives also simply need to be needed. I made reference to it last night. One day God created Adam and looked at him and said, you know something, this guy needs a helper. And so God created a woman and brought her to him and he accepted her from the hand of God. And God created that woman to be the helper. Now listen, 
God saw that you needed help. Therefore, receive the help. Look to your wife for views and opinions and ideas and thoughts. Do you ever hear the concept of point of view? You know what it is, right? You have your point of view, I have my point of view. You know what that means? You ever thought it through? It's a very simple concept. But it basically means this. It means that I am standing at a particular point, and from my point, I have a view of things. Now, if somebody is standing over here, they are at a point, and from their point, they have a view of things. Now, let me take Brother Mike, for example. Let's suppose I say, I'm going to describe Brother Mike. Now, how would I describe him? I'd say, well, <laughs> well, I see glasses, and I see a nose, and I see a mustache, and I see a tie. Now, my wife is sitting right behind him. She might say to me, you're crazy. I'm looking at him. I don't see any glasses. I don't see a nose. I don't see a mustache. I don't see a tie. I see the back of this head. And I don't know how she'd describe that, but... <laughs> now, what's the point of that? Do <laughs> Shiny. <laughs> Listen, from my point of view, am I getting the whole picture? No. But if I stubbornly say, look, I can see him and I'm telling you what he's like and I'm going to make all my decisions about Mike based on my point of view, I'm going to miss something. And so God gave me a wife. And she has her point of view. And if I'm smart, I'll realize, you know something? She's seeing that a little differently than I'm seeing it. She can see something about him that I can't see. I can see something she can't see. But if we're going to get the full picture and therefore be able to make wise decisions, I need to understand her point of view and take that into consideration. Then we'll be able to make our wisest choice because we'll see the whole picture. Now, you see, that's what life is all about for you as a man. You're a man and you think, hey, I see it right. I'll make the choice. And God said, you know, you need help. And so God gave you a helper. And your wife will see things differently than you do. And she will see it right in a sense, but she'll see it from her perspective, her point. That's why God gave her to you. And so you need to realize that she needs to be needed, and she has a view and a perspective and ideas and thoughts, and you need to listen to her counsel. The wise man will do it. By the same token, a wife needs to be appreciated. You take your wife for granted. When's the last time you said thank you? I don't know if I illustrated with this last time I was here or not, but I had an interesting experience one time when one of my daughters was having a baby, and Trisha went away for 30 days to be with my daughter. And you know, those were interesting 30 days for me because all of a sudden, everything that she had done that I kind of took for granted. Now I had to do. If I was going to eat, I had to fix it. And then I had to do the dishes. And if the clothes were going to be clean, I had to wash them. If the dog was going to be fed, I had to feed them. If the cat was going to be taken care of, I had to do it. And on and on and on it went. And pretty soon during that time, I realized how much I took her for granted. 
fact, I've often told people during that 30 days I gave the cat away. <laughs> we had this couple come for counsel and while they were there, this cat was climbing up on the guy and he was petting the cat. He said, this is a nice cat. And I said, yes, it is. <laughs> he said, we thought about getting the cat. And I said, well, you could have that cat right there if you want. He said, no, no, I wouldn't take your cat. I said, oh, yeah, you could have my cat if you really like it. I said, in fact, you can have the cat, cat food, cat box, you can have it all. And so that night he took the cat home. He never came back for any more counseling, but uh, he never, really never did. But. but you know something? I gained an appreciation for Tricia that I just lost. And I know that for the over 34 years we've been married, you know, every day I, I can go to that bureau drawer, open it up, and close it there. Always clean. Thank you. Thank you. I think one of the greatest dangers in marriage is that we begin to take each other for granted. We forget to express appreciation. I think we as men are most guilty of it. It's men, you know, who come home at day and kind of say, what'd you do all day? <laughs> and we have no idea what she did all day. I need to be appreciated. And gals, you can do the same thing. Take your husband for granted. I hope you don't. But we need to express appreciation. A simple thank you is so important. And then, you know, men, you need to accept your wife. Listen, you need to accept her for who she is, for what she is. She is different than every other lady. And some of those things that are unique about her might be the very things that drew you to her in the first place. But sometimes a man will fall into the trap of, of comparing his wife with some other lady, how she cooks or what she does or her hair or whatever it is. Listen, you accept your wife and you thank God for her and accept her just the way she is and marvel at the fact that she has devoted her life to be your wife. It's pretty special. These things and others believe me, are included when the Bible says, husband, love your wife with a sacrificial love. Look to meet her needs. Look to minister to her. Even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Look at verse 26. The text goes on and says this, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. Now here's a statement made about the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, it is made with reference to the church, but it is also made in the context of challenging the man with regard to his wife. And I want you to see what is being said here. It says of the Lord Jesus that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. And the key term there is the term word. Many times in our Bible, the term word is a translation of the term logos. But here, it is a translation of the term rhema. If you were going to write it in English, you would write it R-H-E-M-A. And the emphasis of this term rhema is that which is said, that which is spoken. Now, when the Lord Jesus said something, obviously, it's the word of God, right? If he said something, it's the word of God. But the challenge here is not, and listen to me, the challenge here is not for a man 
to be instructing his wife with the Word of God. Now, it's okay if you do that, but there are some men who get the idea, for instance, that devotions ought to be a man sitting down, getting his wife in front of him, maybe a couple of kids, and giving a 30-minute Bible lesson every day, and, and that's how he's going to minister to her with the Word. Well, the simple fact is there are some men who really are not as capable of that as some others. But the emphasis here is this, that you might sanctify and cleanse your wife, as it were, with the washing of water by the word, listen, by what you say to her. How do you talk to your wife? How do you talk to your wife? I want to tell you something. What you say to your wife and how you talk to your wife is extremely important in terms of her spiritual and emotional well-being. And you should look for every opportunity to use your words to build her up and to encourage her and to strengthen her. She needs that acceptance from you. And so you should look for the opportunity to compliment her. You should look for the opportunity to console her. You should look for the opportunity to encourage her. Your words are extremely important. Believe me, as we touched last night on the challenge to the ladies, I want you to know there are many Christian ladies who are living to please their husbands, care for their husbands, and they never get that word of, of appreciation or encouragement or that compliment. Sir, so you want to minister to your wife? You minister to her by what you say. Verse 28 says this, So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. Think about that, will you? A man ought to love his wife as he loves his own body. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. Did you know that men love themselves? And we were in Sunday school and I was talking to the young couples there and trying to help them understand that while we live in a day when psychologists and psychiatrists are saying the problem with people is that they don't love themselves, the fact is the Bible teaches everybody loves themselves. You love yourself. Men love themselves. And men have a greater problem with loving themselves than women do. Men just love themselves. How many women stand in the mirror like this? Maybe they do. I don't know. Every man here tonight loves himself. We'll see just a little bit more about it in a moment. Now, let me tell you something, sir. Here's your challenge. Will you think about loving your wife as much as you love yourself? Now notice what it goes on to say, verse 29. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh. What does he do with his own flesh? It says he nourishes and cherishes it. And the challenge is that he would nourish his wife and cherish his wife even as the Lord nourishes and cherishes the church. Now, what's it mean to nourish? That term speaks of care and provision. Men take care of themselves and men provide for themselves. Now, most families have trouble once in a while with finances. But you know what I find out about men? They may not be able to afford what their wife wants, but they can generally afford what they want. It's usually that way. 
Honey, I can't afford any new clothes for you. We got extra bills. But then you'll go out and you'll buy a fishing rod, you'll buy a gun, you'll buy a new golf club, you'll buy whatever it is. Well, I got this on a deal. And besides that, I needed it. <laughs> Would you think about this? Would you think about providing for her just the way you provide for yourself? Think about making the extra effort to get that thing that she needs or wants just like you will make the effort to get what you need or want. And then I love the term cherish. It says men also cherish their own body. You know what it means to cherish? The word literally means, listen, warm and soft. That's what the word means. Look it up. It means warm and soft. Men like it warm and soft. I'll illustrate if in your house there is only one recliner, to whom does it belong? Now, you might have two recliners, but if there's only one, pretty well I know who it is. You know why? Because men like it warm and soft. Men just love that. Sit down in the recliner. Honey, could you get me some tea? <laughs> slippers. Hey, would you think about making it warm and soft for her? Would you look at your wife and say, how can I make it easy for her? How can I make it nicer for her? How can I do better for her? See, the problem with most men is they get married to get their needs met. That's how men often look at marriage. Man, I, I need somebody. I need somebody to take care of me. I need somebody to cook. I need somebody to do my clothes. I need somebody. Listen, marriage is not all about you getting your needs met. Know how I know that? Husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Now, once in a while, I hear a preacher, and I think they're kind of strange when they say this. Once in a while, I hear a preacher say something like this. The reason the Lord Jesus came and died for us was because God didn't want to be lonely for eternity, and he needed us. Hey, listen, he doesn't need us. God doesn't need us. Lord Jesus didn't come to this earth for what he needed. He came in grace and mercy. It was all about the extension and expression of his love for us. That's what it was all about. He came for us. And so the challenge for a man is, would you look at your wife? And just as Christ gave everything for us, that you would seek to give everything for her. Look, if you will, Verse 30 and 31 says, We are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. Now listen. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. Now look at the phrase. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother. And I ask you this question, for what cause? For what cause? What's it talking about here? 
It says, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, cleave unto his wife. What cause? What is it that is to cause a man to leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife? Is it for him to get his needs met? No. It is to be the same cause that moved Christ from the glories of heaven to the cross of Calvary. Remember the parable from Matthew 13? You needn't turn to it, but I'm going to read it to you. Matthew 13, verses 45 and 46. Just listen as I read. It says again, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Most commentators would say that that parable has to do with Christ and the church. That the church is the pearl of great price. And the Savior in glory looked and saw what he envisioned as the church. And he left all. He gave up all. And he came to this earth to buy it. That's the cause. When you marry your wife, if you married your wife simply on this basis, well, you know, I need somebody to do this, and I need somebody to do that, I need somebody to do this, if that's why you married her, then you misunderstood it. The cause for a man to leave his father and mother and cleave unto this wife is this. I have found someone for whom I am willing to give all. I have found someone who I love. I have found someone that I want to take care of. I want to find, I found someone that I want to pour my life into. And for the rest of my days, I just want to minister to her and care for her and love her. That's what the role of a man is. And if you don't understand that, then you need to reconsider what this book says about a husband loving his wife even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Sometimes men say, well, you know, my wife, I don't think she understands this thing of submission. Well, I'll tell you what. As soon as you understand this thing of love, she won't have any problem with submission. You know that? As soon as you get hold of that, as soon as you begin to love her, to conquer her with love. Oh, will she respond? That's one of the challenges of the term. That's what's built into the term, the, the helper back in Genesis. She is a responder. And if you will love her, she will love you. Even as the Bible says about us, what does it say? We love him. Why? Because he first loved. You and I don't love God because one day we just decided to love God kind of out of the blue. I think I'll love God. No, you and I love God in response to his love. Having been conquered by his love, we are learning to love him back. And that's how marriage works. And sir, when you will love her with a sacrificial love, I want to tell you something. She'll respond with love. It's one verse I want to turn to before we close tonight 
It's over in Colossians chapter 3. It's a verse that holds challenge both for the husband and the wife. Verse 18 instructs the wife with these words, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. And then verse 19 is a very interesting verse. I can remember reading it thinking, I wonder why it says what it says in this verse. It says, Husbands, love your wives. And then it says, And be not bitter against them. I can think of reading that verse many times thinking, why is that in there? Seems like a funny thing to put in there. You know, wife, submit to your husband is fit in the Lord. And then husband, love your wife. And then all of a sudden, be not bitter against them. I thought, why does that say that? Well, the more I've studied and thought about that verse, one thing I know is this. Men are prone to bitterness because bitterness is rooted in pride and one of the greatest problems that every man in this room has is pride. And then I thought, there must be more to it, and then I thought, realize this. Ladies, you ever heard of the fragile male ego? You ever heard of that? Let me tell you something. He's got one. He's got one. And your challenge is to not destroy that ego. To not destroy that pride. Now, the man has a problem with it, and the challenge is to him, Sir, don't let your pride get to you so that you end up bitter against your wife. But wife, will you recognize that your husband is prone to that, and therefore you must not undermine that ego? It's a two-fold challenge. Now, don't throw it at him, okay? Every time he gets into trouble, don't say, oh, that's that old pride problem of yours. Don't do that. But would you just realize that he's got it? I sometimes think of wives. I know they do these things with really good intentions and often innocence, you know, innocently. But do but you ever have this kind of thing happen? Maybe, uh, maybe you go to the neighbor's house and... And uh, the neighbor, he's a handy guy. And so you walk in, he's just put an addition on his house. And you've been invited over to, to see the addition. And so you walk in, you know, and, and you know, you're, the wife and husband are there. And, and the wife says, uh, my, did, did Charlie do this whole thing? The other one, oh, yeah, he did the whole thing. You mean he, he did, I mean, he, the plumbing? Oh, yeah, he did it all. The electric? Yeah. Drywall? Yeah. Finish the drywall? It's beautiful. He'd do that? Yeah. You mean your husband did this whole thing? Yeah. Turns to her husband. He can't even hit a nail straight. <laughs> remember, honey, when you tried to make that little knick-knack shelf? Remember that? You hung it up on the wall. And remember, it was hanging all crooked. We put things on, and they'd slide off, and then all oh, it. He, he can't do a thing. You know how he feels about that time? You know he's going... Now, should he have that kind of pride problem? No, he probably shouldn't, but he does. He's sensitive to that. I think the challenge is that ladies, listen, ladies can say and do things, listen, that can make a man bitter. 
And every lady needs to be sensitive to that. And sir, you need to be sensitive to that. And one of the great challenges for us as men is that by the grace of God, we'd somehow overcome this terrible pride problem of ours. And the challenge is love her. Love her even when she says something that undermines and hurts. Love her even when she maybe fails you. Love her. Never, ever become bitter against her. Love her. Just as Christ loved the church. You know, marriage is a wonderful thing. It really is. It's supposed to get better year by year. And I hope it is for you. If you're a married man or a married lady here tonight, I hope it's getting better. Now listen, if it isn't, then there's something wrong that needs attention. When you first get married and you begin to live with each other, you learn things about each other you never knew, right? Oh, if I'd known he was like that, but you didn't. But gradually we work through those things and we begin to learn about each other. And it becomes critical that then, because we are both human and both weak, it becomes critical that then we run to this book and we do what God tells us to do, not because we think the other person is somehow worthy of it, but because it's what God tells us to do. And a wife has to say, I must do what I am told to do because God tells me to. And a man says, I must do what God tells me to do because God tells me to. And when the man is committed to what God tells him and the lady is committed to what God tells her and they're not waiting on each other, that's what so often happens. Well, I'd do my part if he would do his part. I'd do my part if she would do her part. If you wait for that, your marriage will be a disaster all your days. But if both will commit themselves to obedience to the Word of God, I want to tell you something, your marriage will get sweeter and better and more wonderful year after year after year. And if that's not happening in your life, it is not because of your mate. Don't you point the finger at your mate. You point the finger at yourself and you direct yourself back into this book and you find out what you are supposed to do and start to do it and then see what God will do. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it tells us about marriage. We thank you that it likens marriage to the relationship that exists between Christ and the church. What more lovely and wonderful example could there be for us? Father, may we be committed to you and to your word and to our mates. And as our relationship with you gets sweeter, as the years go by, may our marriages get sweeter as the years go by. And Father, I pray if there are folks here who are struggling, that tonight they would take their stand and commit themselves to you, to your word, and to one another in a new and fresh way. That from this day forward, 
until death takes one or the Lord Jesus should return, may our marriages get better and better and better that our children and others might see Christ in us and we'd be so grateful.